So a pig and a hen go out for breakfast. What'll we have? asks the pig. How about bacon and eggs? says the hen. Excuse me, says the pig. Bacon and eggs? Bacon and eggs? For you, that's a contribution. For me, it's a commitment. Today is Stewardship Sunday, the kickoff of the annual fund drive at First Parish in Cambridge. Larry Childs and the Stewardship Committee have been preparing for months for this congregational conversation about what the church means to you and what you'd be willing to pledge to support it. So are we asking for a contribution or a commitment? Giving generously to one's faith community was an obvious obligation in a time when every churchgoer believed that our blessings come from God and the church is God's collection agent. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Some of us believe that, some don't. But those of us who believe in God have to acknowledge that God's work in this world is performed by many hands. The hospice and the battered women's shelter, the youth basketball league and the nature preserve. The unique claim of the church upon our charitable impulse has been weakened both by the church's own limitations and by the dizzying multiplication of other worthy causes all touching our hearts, all skilled in the arts of solicitation, and most, let's be honest, far more skilled than we. So many of us, including me, have asked parishioners to calculate the actual benefits of church life enjoyed by you and your family, worship and fellowship, religious education and social action, music and meditation, potlucks, and pastoral counseling. Sometimes we've sent you a moral invoice for all the bills that must be paid, heat and light, paint and plumbing, and most inflated of all, the minister's salary. Do you know what it costs to run this place, we ask, in terms alternately polite and pleading? These arguments can persuade. Numbers don't lie. Mislead, certainly, but never lie. The problem with these appeals is that they tend to reduce our covenant in this religious community to a commercial transaction, a mercantile exchange. In this model, the church provides a package of services for which you, the consumers, are obligated to pay. In this transaction, there's no soul. There's no growth in spirit or self-understanding. There's no commitment. There's only quid pro quo. Generosity with strings, Maria Manus observed, is not generosity. It's a deal. The deeper question of stewardship is not what we get from giving generously, 
but who we become. What kind of people are we? And who do we aspire to be? The annual fund drive is not about the growth of the church. Not really. It's about our own growth. It's not about commerce, but character. Please don't give in order to get. Give in order to be. I don't know about you, but I am not yet the person I hope to be. I want to grow, always, until my last breath. Giving helps me grow. It doesn't come easy. It's not supposed to. Once back in my Littleton church, a lay leader making a fundraising pitch invoked the image of those popsicles with two sticks. She said they were designed that way so kids could break them in two to share with a friend. Eating a whole one by yourself, she said, was never as much fun. Really? I thought. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Of all those hundreds, maybe thousands of popsicles I snarfed down as a kid, I don't remember sharing a single one with another human being. I was unclear on the concept. I needed to grow in generosity. And I still do. Most of us have more than we need. When we contemplate people in foreign lands, surviving and often thriving on incomes a tiny fraction of our own. When we see the people of Haiti persevering through centuries of adversity, oppression, and now earthquake, most of us realize we have a lot more than we need. But sometimes our affluence, instead of inspiring generosity, can breed a kind of narcissism in which we spend indulgently on ourselves and our families, but meanly beyond them. Liberal, perhaps, in our politics, but not necessarily our pocketbooks. Like the self-centered child I was, with all the popsicles I ever wanted, never sharing one. Clutching my popsicle as it melted, half-eaten, in the sun. Involuntary simplicity is poverty. And it can be a very hard life. Voluntary simplicity is liberation from the tyranny of things. Money is actually a form of life energy. And we have the power to choose where and how to expend it. Every expenditure is really a choice of the soul. What is the good life? Our soul asks, is it a nice house, dinner out, the latest techno gadget, travel to exotic places? Or is it a life of goodness, a life of goodness in which our abundance is shared? Every dollar we spend on material things is a vote for material growth. Every dollar given away 
a vote for spiritual growth. Generosity is a spiritual practice because it's the practice of letting go. Letting go of our grasping attachment to materiality. Letting go of our fear that we won't have enough. That we never have enough. Letting go of the centrality of self. The best way for me to free myself of the hold money has upon me is to give it away. As Anne-Sophie Swachin wrote over a century ago, we are rich only through what we give and poor only through what we refuse. This morning, I challenge each of us to make a commitment to this congregation. I ask no pound of flesh, no fatal wound, but for a gift each of us can feel. If you can write a check to this church and not even notice, let me suggest it's not enough. If it doesn't change your life, it's not enough. It may be enough to meet the immediate budgetary needs of the congregation, but it's not enough for you. Sacrifice is a word not much heard in Unitarian Universalism. You will search in vain for it in our seven principles. We are in many ways a comfortable religion. We have no creeds, no commandments. We ask people to think for themselves and to accept one another, which are nothing to sneeze at. But by and large, I'd say, our yoke is easy and our burden is light. Yet while we count only about 160,000 adult members, evangelical Christian churches and Muslim mosques, for example, draw in millions upon millions worldwide. The reasons are many and not all positive, but one may be that those religions demand something. The third pillar of Islam is zakah, a mandatory alms tax of 2.5% on any personal surplus retained for one year. Literally, zakah means purification because money is purified when dedicated to the needy. In many evangelical Christian churches, a fundamental expectation of membership is a tithe to the church, 10% of one's income. This is sacrifice, a gift that transforms the giver. Maybe there's something in each of us that wants to sacrifice, that yearns for transformation. So this morning, I'm not asking for pocket change. I'm asking for a change of heart. You know, the saying, practice what you preach, hits a preacher particularly hard. It's personal. It kind of comes with the pulpit. I get to talk to you nearly every Sunday for 20 minutes or so, and you get to watch me to see if I'm for real, to see if I walk the walk, not just talk the talk. It's all very well for me to stand up here and talk about generosity and sacrifice and commitment, but if I don't live these words in my life, you and I both know they're empty. So I'm going to talk about the pledge I'm making this year. I do this for two other reasons. First, my salary is public record. 
you can look it up in the budget. Second, I think money matters generally are shrouded in too much secrecy, obscured and distorted by too much discomfort and embarrassment. So I'd like to model openness and clarity, notwithstanding my own discomfort and embarrassment. Here goes. I'm pledging $6,000 to First Parish this year, which is 7% of my salary. So it's less than a tithe. Julie and I give away a tenth of our combined income each year, including what we give to all charitable organizations, political campaigns, and movements for peace and justice. This is our shared commitment, not only to First Parish in Cambridge, but to living and loving generously. What will your commitment be? That's a question only you can answer. As a closing gift and a meditation upon giving, I offer a poem by Rumi, the Sufi mystic. In every breath, if you are the center of your own desires, you will lose the grace of your beloved. But if in every breath you blow away your self-claim, the ecstasy of love will soon arrive. In every breath, if you're the center of your own thoughts, the sadness of autumn will fall on you. But if in every breath you strip naked, just like a winter, the joy of spring will grow from within. All your impatience comes from the push for gain of patience. Let go of the effort, and peace will arrive. All your unfulfilled desires are from your greed for gain of fulfillments. Let go of them all, and they will be sent as gifts. Fall in love with the agony of love, not the ecstasy. Then the beloved will fall in love with you. Amen, and blessed be.